Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you surely man? Can we all please spare a thought this morning for my colleague Ken Early, who staked his entire journalistic reputation on the success of David Louise in the Chelsea team this season? And for so long, Ken, for so long, it looked like an inspired call as Louise, led from the back, drove his team to the Premier League title. But on the day that mattered most, we're still in the mid-70s here, right? On the day that mattered most, FA Cup final day, the big man switched off for just a second to allow little Aaron Ramsey not in a header unopposed and win the cup for us. And hello and welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. And commiserations, Ken, on your man falling at the final hurdle. I know you're feverishly looking up the goal again to see how am I laying the blame at well, the... Well, no, I just want to know. You can explain that, Adam, because I, 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 I think I know what you're about to say. But Oh, no, I've already said it. Switched off. Wandered in the general direction of Olivier Giroud. Failed to notice the midfield dynamo Aaron Ramsey sneaking into the box to lay out there. Sure, you could blame the seven Chelsea midfielders who are <laughs> ahead of David Luiz, but that doesn't fit into my narrative here quite as easy. I was just going to say, oh, no, I didn't realise they'd all been sent off. It was a three-man game. It was just, yeah. uh, it was just Giroud, uh, David Luiz and Ramsey still on field at that stage. Ah, there were a few other bodies out there, but they felt that Luiz could handle anything that I don't suppose. Up. I don't suppose David Luiz's um, creation of the Chelsea equaliser stands for anything in your book. No, it's the, we all know he's a good attacking force. It's his defensive frailties that get so, shown up on days such as this. So there was a, there was a handball goal by Arsenal. Mm-hmm. There was uh, the second goal when Kante decided not to bother tracking his man. Ah, it's Ramsey. What's he going to do? <laughs> Giroud is not going to be able to cross it from there. In fairness, what a ball by Giroud. Yeah. Did it get slightly deflected or something in the way over it? Because it had a kind of strange trajectory. I mean, it landed or it just arrived so perfectly for Ramsey to score. It was one of those where you're like, oh, this is a goal. <laughs> as soon as you see the ball kind of coming in from the cross, you're like, oh, like, this is going to be, a, yes, it's a goal. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Arsenal were, were brilliant. I mean, I think it, I think it's sad, Owen. I think it's sad. And it's, it's indicative of the sick culture. Uh, that's that surrounds our game and the violence in modern society that Arsene Wenger referred to, um, the violence uh, in modern society, that you would look at that game and having seen a wonderful display of football, having seen one of the great Wembley Cup finals, that you would then, all, all that you see, 
mm-hmm. in this entire game and, and everything everything that was great about it is the opportunity to reach in and pick up a stick and turn around and try to beat me with it. Well, it was the last opportunity of the season. So I, I figured if I don't get in now, short of Sergio Ramos scoring a hat-trick in the Champions League final, <laughs> Sergio Ramos has already scored in two Champions League finals <laughs> in the last three seasons, including one of the greatest last-minute equalizers and I've yet, ever seen. And yet, you're still, you know, you still rag on. I, I concede that Sergio Ramos has got a lot going for him as a footballer. We're going to talk about the impact of this win on the future for Arsene Wenger in today's show, and we'll get into Francesco Totti's emotional final game for Roma. I say emotional, it was extremely... If you're in a spot here where you can pause this podcast just for a minute or so and go and watch a couple of the videos, even one of the videos, it'll give you a nice sense of how nuts things were in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico. Grown men, grown women, grown everybody wailing. Not just... It's not, it wasn't one of those situations where this is a little bit sad, a player is coming to the end of his career, we all love him and we'll show him his respect. They were openly weeping for this man. It's incredible. That's the oh, They love him. They love him more than the more than the club. Let's report on some sport game. Yeah, you you know who you remind me of actually Alan Bell. Who I remind you of? Yeah. Um, well, this is one of those guessing games that I can't win. It's Graham Sooners. Oh, Graham Sooners. I, I I don't understand. I've never that comparison has never been made. Yet. Just your anti Zabba Louise attitude, um, and actually uh, the fact that you've done all that, the fact that you've had a pop at him, an un, unjustified pop in my view. Uh, reminds me of what happened between when David Luiz and Graham Sooners actually came face to face, which was in the aftermath of Chelsea's uh, final game of the season. And uh, Sooners is on the field with Carragher and Neville and gets the opportunity to interview David Luiz and uh, put some of his own thoughts on on David Luiz's uh, performances <laughs> uh, to David Luiz. So we can hear how that one unfolded. You have had an outstanding season. First time round, we, we remember you for maybe making some mistakes. This time round, I can't think of any mistakes you've made. And I think that's because you're in the middle. Would you agree? I don't agree. You don't? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's the laughter of Carragher and Neville. Uh, oh, who, they enjoy that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Louise just said, no, I don't, don't think you're right about that. As soon as continues to say, well, you know, you you are playing in the middle, and you know if you make a mistake, there are people are there to cover. And he goes, "Well, no, my job is my job on the team is to is specifically to cover other people's errors." Uh, but you know you can think about these things in a negative way if you like. But I prefer not to <laughs> <laughs> not to do that. So yeah, I don't, I don't agree. Now, obviously, you think he made a mistake in the final round. Yeah, I feel he could have. I feel he got dragged towards Olivier Giroud when the danger was coming from behind. Danger was coming from behind. He should have just got out of the way. That that goal there. No, the the danger was coming from a midfield runner. Maybe he expected Kante, the player of the year, to be uh, Possibly, looking but no to see any too, such man. runners. See, what was strange about that goal was it really had very little to do with them being a man down. Mm. Like that should have counted an extra time. They should have been able to hold on for extra time after getting the equaliser. It was the kind of goal that the, that the team that is a man down scores. Yeah, they they had eleven or ten men behind the ball, including the goalkeeper. They should have found a way. Chelsea of all teams not to concede. Well, they, were, they were up against an Arsenal team that was playing very well. And they played, I mean, particularly in the first half, the best of the best I can remember seeing seeing them play this season. They were on it, Ken, as they the saying were, goes. They were on it. Chelsea, of course, were off it. Mm-hmm. Alan Shearer was very direct about this at that time. He said Chelsea just, with his, with his furrowed brow and indignant expression, um, said they just look like they've been partying, not, you know, all, all the time, drinking nonstop. For the last ten days, did he say that? Yeah, <laughs> can you really? 
Uh, for Chelsea, probably let him away with it, I suppose. But uh, he 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 was he diagnosed the problem as he saw it. Well, that is the, the real barstool opinion. All right, that gets trotted around, but I didn't realize it. Respected pundits such as Alan Shearer. Ah, Shearer's yeah. done it a few times himself. You know, Shearer Shearer knows what it's like. You know, these preseason, postseason team bonding sessions, maybe in Dublin, maybe on Dawson Street. You know, things uh, things happen. Um, but you know, it was, it was terrific. By I mean, I think almost everybody watching the game would have been happy with the outcome of the game, because obviously the Arsenal fans wanted it, wanted to win the cup. Most other fans, I think, would have also wanted Arsenal to win. Chelsea have already won the league. Chelsea maybe aren't the most popular team among neutrals anyway. And there is the fact that Arsene Wenger is almost certainly going to sign a new two-year contract as manager of Arsenal, which everybody, I think, is happy with, with maybe the exception of some of the people who Arsene Wenger took to task in his uh, screw you uh, media appearances uh, following this uh, the, vin- the sweet vindication of uh, over his third FA Cup in four years and seventh overall. Um, he took a lot of people to task. Uh, the board, um, the fans, uh, the doubters, the critics, the haters, uh, and he put them all back in their box, which I think he was probably entitled to do in the circumstances. Nobody gave us a chance. I mean, the thing is, they had they had beaten. Not only Chelsea, but also Manchester City to win this, um, to win this uh, trophy. You know, they'd, they'd overcome strong opponents, mean some weak opponents in earlier rounds as well. But it makes a big difference who you play in the final. I think how you feel about an FA Cup. If they'd beaten whoever in the final, Bournemouth, for argument's sake, would have been it was so anticlimactic. Mm. And they would have been looking really delighted with themselves, and you would have been second guessing if they actually felt that way, or if they just had to look delighted. Whereas, it, it, you know, you beat Chelsea, you beat the champions, it feels pretty sweet, is it? Well, it's like it's like their last couple of finals where they beat Hull and they beat uh, Aston Villa, mm. and the Villa one they trashed, they trashed Villa out of sight. It was never a contest. The the Hull one they were two 0 down, I think I, I seem to recall, and ended up winning three two. So that's another way to feel good, actually, going yeah. behind by a couple of goals. It was the only way they could really feel that happy about beating Hull. Um, but, you know, to beat a, a big rival team in, in the manner in which they did with, with a very good performance on a kind of a great day uh, is obviously much better. Um, we will be talking to Josh Robinson of the Wall Street Journal about what's happening with Arsene Wenger afterwards, but it's it's pretty obvious. I mean, you could see people saying stuff like, oh, what an ideal moment for Wenger to bow out. Listen to what he's saying. It couldn't be more obvious that he has absolutely no intention of bowing out. You know, this is a guy who is absolutely intent on staying there forever you know he's not he's not thinking in terms of a departure even in two years he's just going to keep going and, and it's up to them to decide when they uh, you know when they want to when they want to change that it's a good point because all the debate has been about whether he stays for next season or not but it's really if he is staying for next season how long is he staying for after that is he is he just going to soldier on and get a load of stick for another year hmm. or are Arsenal going to commit to him long term and say, you're our guy, whatever better contract that's signed, are they going to give him this sort of power, let him keep the kind of power that he has to, to maintain his kind of hold in the club? Well, it would be, it's, it's hard to imagine him really adapting uh, to any great extent at this point in his career, at, you know, at the same club, having been running the club for so long, for, them to, for him suddenly to have to work in a completely different set of conditions, you know, reporting to different people and not responsible for the areas he was previously responsible for and, and so on. It's difficult to imagine that. 
Um, so, so I don't think um, that's going to happen. I mean, the, the reports at the moment are suggesting it will be a two-year contract, which it, which it kind of has to be because if it was a one-year contract, it's he's just a, immediately a lame duck the moment that he signs it. It's the, the, the clock is ticking to the end of the season when your contract is up. Who will will you be here next season? They can just keep asking that question even after he's signed the contract. So, a two-year contract would, would kind of be the uh, the minimum. Um, it seems as though that's uh, that's going to happen. So we will talk a bit more about that uh, with with uh, Josh. I mean, he did he did criticise the fans. It was interesting. I mean, he he said he criticised point one percent of fans, you know. But we all know it's a little bit more than that. Um, uh, there's a kind of violence in our society now where everyone has opinions. We have to live with it. Uh, but the only thing I say, I accept people's opinion. During the game, you want people who are fans to be behind the club. That's what I refuse. I will never accept that during a game. This is people chanting Wenger out uh, while Arsenal are actually on the field uh, playing. Not too many of them uh, chanting that yesterday, but there you go. So, um, yeah, we'll get back to that uh, in a little while. In the meantime, Paul Pogba uh, has been uh, attracting the usual amount of attention, I would say. Yeah. He... Just before the, um, or just after the Europa League final, he he puts in his Instagram about, I'm just on my way. He was there with a, with a little uh, travel case. He's like, I'm just on my way to say thanks for the season. And there was, you know, no indica- indication given. Well, what are you talking about? Next photo, he's turned up in Mecca. Um, and he's in, he's standing in front of the, uh, the Kaaba, which is the, the big, the black cube. If you've ever seen pictures of Mecca, um, it's like uh, there's an emoji of it. You can you can look up the emoji if you don't know what the Kaaba looks like. It's the black one in the religious uh, sections, and uh, Pogba saying, you know, here I am. Thanks, uh, thanks very much for everything to the big man. Uh, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life, and uh, happy Ramadan. So uh, so that's what's going on with him at the moment. He had just after the Europa League final. Um, talked to French media about they, they said are oh, you going to be playing with Griezmann next season and Pogba just said watch this space but he said watch this space by doing uh, while doing Griezmann's goal celebration <laughs> with the you know the sort of uh, phone uh, hands there's also an emoji of that hand gesture uh, I'm sure there is <laughs> who is it who uses that emoji Someone Neymar trying to Neymar doing it and being imitated by Lionel Messi's son. You know that. You know the one where you kind of raise your thumb and stick out your little finger. The other three fingers are part of a, of a fist. That one there. Uh, so is that kind of a call me gesture? Is that it? No, it's. Like, what, what would you say <laughs> that means? Here? Call. I don't think it means call me. I think it just means like cool or whatever. Oh, <laughs> Something like that. I thought you were putting that. I said that you were about to put that to your. Uh, oh no! See, I'm it not, looks like a call you me could, gesture. You could. You could. Although in a very old-fashioned phone way, because your thumb is like the rec- it's yeah. sort of a, he- a landline. Remember them. Yeah, you could you could put it to your to your uh, uh, ear and mouth if you wanted to make an old-fashioned phone sign, mm-hmm. um, but so so that seems to suggest that yes, uh, he seems he seems to think that is going to happen anyway. And they they do sort of have to act fast uh, because it seems as though as we were talking about last week, uh, Manchester City are making really quick moves now in this transfer market. They've already signed Bernardo Silva, um, the number 10 from Monaco. They are signing, um, it looks like Ederson, the goalkeeper from Benfica for 35 million. And they are signing probably also Mendy, the left back from Monaco for 40 million. So before anyone else is out of the blocks, Manchester City have already paid out about 150 million pounds 
those signings aren't the, the Mendy ones aren't isn't isn't complete yet. But I mean, this is the kind of this is the level that we're looking at, looking at here. These are these are like the first three signings of what's expected to be six. You know, we could be talking about three hundred million pounds by the end of this, which is uh, some serious uh, investment. And you do wonder what's going to happen in terms of um, <laughs> in in terms of Manchester United's response. Yeah, I've got uh, some updates here, Ken, or an update. Yeah. The sign that you refer to is known as the Shaka sign, sometimes known as Hang Loose. <laughs> suggests your friendly intent often associated with Hawaii surf culture and public school pride. <laughs> <laughs> public school pride, eh? The, right, okay, very good. Uh, I hope people understand what we're talking about here. So it consists of extending the thumb and the smallest finger while yeah. holding the three. You have said this already, but just really this is important to get. Then you have the three middle fingers curled in, back mm. in towards your hand, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's an it's a, again. There's an emoji. Yeah, shaka. Um, but where were we? Um, so yeah, City are setting the market uh, high. Um, the players Manchester United are now linked to Ivan Perisic, the Croatian a winger uh, from Inter. I'm a bit puzzled by that one. Uh, why would why would they be? interested in signing a Croatian inter winger for 40 million pounds a 28 year old uh, player when they've already got you know Anthony Martial I know that Anthony Martial maybe isn't hasn't totally convinced uh, Jose Mourinho but I'm just I'm a little bit puzzled I'm, I'm not sure I mean I think you know if you've got Manchester City signing these players I mean do you think Bernardo Silva is going to be a success with Manchester City next, next season I'll say yes I would expect him to be because whatever I saw him playing for Monaco, he was brilliant. And I kind of have a feeling that he's going to be playing in a City team that is set up to make him look good, which is a very important part of uh, of whether a player seems like value for money or not. I mean, this is the thing I was writing about today with... Um, we've already talked about Graham Souness once. We have. I mean, we were talking about Souness the last time we were speaking on, on the football podcast on Thursday. Yeah, World Service. This was his his uh, criticism of Pogba on the on TV three, which at that stage I hadn't seen. I have seen it since, and I can't. I feel as though I feel as though this was extremely wrong. Everything about it was wrong. the The main thing that's wrong with it is who? How exactly is anybody? He criticised Pogba for not running games. I mean, he he criticised them both for not producing brilliance. Or enough of it, at any rate, and for not running a game in the way that an, a, a midfield player, an old midfield player like me, people who don't understand the game will look at it and see some. He does some eye-catching things, but I'm saying, well, what's he doing? He's I've never seen him run a game. So on the one hand, he's been criticised for not producing brilliance, and, and then and on the other hand, for not running games, which are two different things, by the way, two completely different things. I mean, one of them is you know scoring spectacular goals, you know, little. Uh, flicks and rouladas and yeah. So Sunes wants one of them though. His argument is if he's not going to be running games, uh, which he doesn't seem to be doing, then you need him to be regularly producing those moments of brilliance. Mm. And his argument is that he's not. And yeah, that's my argument. Would be I'd love to see Graham Sunes run a game for this Manchester United team. I would love to see that. How would Sunes do that exactly? How do you mean? Well, so Graham Sunes is the obviously he's the midfield kingpin. You know, he's the He's, I guess, a deep-lying uh, uh, midfield player uh, with a license to get forward if he wants. You know, he's he's got the 
license to, to, to take that responsibility into his, into his own hands. He can turn up in the box if he wants and rifle a shot into the top corner. Sure. But how exactly is he going to run this game when he's playing in this Manchester United team? In a big game, because he was talking specifically about big games. That, that's where you pay $100 million for someone who can make the difference in these games. So Manchester United are playing a big game. You are Jose Mourinho, right? You, Owen, are Jose Mourinho. And you have to, you can't just say, well, if I was Jose Mourinho, this is what I'd do. You have to think, what would Jose Mourinho actually do? You're managing uh, Manchester United against Manchester City. It's a big game. The kind of game that, you know, Paul Bogba certainly is going to be judged on. Certainly, and the kind of game you're going to be judged on as well as Jose Mourinho, the, you know, the manager up against uh, Guardiola. What are your tactics? Probably keep it tight. Probably shut up shop, make sure not to give anything man- easy to Manchester City. How many defenders do you play? Going to play uh, probably five defenders. Five? Yeah. Uh, where's the where's the fifth one fitting in in the middle? I'm going to go for, yeah, three at the back. What about your wing backs? Ma- uh, are they offensive? Are they going to be running forward at every sign, the first hint of danger? No, if they go over the halfway line, I shoot them afterwards. So you've got seven defenders. Mm. You've got Graeme Souness, your midfield, you're signing your midfield kingpin. He's going to run the game for you. That's what, he, that's what he's about. So he's playing in front of the line of seven. How many players are ahead of him? Well, no, I kind of had three. Def- I was counting the wingbacks as defenders in that case. But yeah, if you want to count the two holding midfielders that are going to have as defenders, then... Uh, okay, well, you, you've, well what, what about your, your wingers? What are they doing? Your, your kind of wide attacking players? They're largely funneling back into midfield. To yeah, so so that's, where I, that's where I'm getting the line yeah. of seven, right? You've got seven men. Mm-hmm. You know, your wide attackers, your wingbacks who are forbidden to attack, your three centre halves. Oh, yeah. You've got Sunis... You've got Pogba. How many other players do you have? I've got one, one man up front. You've got one more player. Big Zlatan. Maybe Griezmann. If he goes back from Maybe. Injury. More likely Griezmann, yeah. Maybe Rashford. Yeah. You know, the kid, he's got, the he's kids, got enormous the kids, optimism. The kid's done good, yeah. He's got a big, big game temperament. So, mm-hmm. so Sunis, Pogba and Rashford, mm-hmm. right? And seven defenders. Now, the ball comes to the feet of your captain, Graham Sunis, although I don't know how that's happened because one of the things that you've told your team never to do, particularly against Manchester City, certainly you were telling them this last season, is don't make first station passes. This was uh, Justin Mourinho. I told them 20 times not to make first station passes. What's a first station pass? It's when the central defender passes the ball to a central midfielder. Why does he not want that? Because that's where City win the ball and counterattack straight through the middle and, and score a goal. So your central defenders aren't allowed to give the ball to Graham Sunis. Nobody's allowed to give the ball to him, in fact. The only way he gets the ball is if he wins it himself. Not a problem, given his, his uh, ball winning ability. crunching tackles that he makes, his anticipation, his reading of the game, and so forth. Every so often, he's going to win the ball. He gets the ball. He's won the ball. David Silva is writhing on the turf uh, behind him. you know, Or maybe it's Bernardo Silva. One of these guys has been absolutely laid waste. Graham Sooners gets the ball, stands tall, chest out, foot in the ball. What's he going to do? He looks up. What does he see? Rashford running the channels. He sees Rashford. He sees Pogba as well, somewhere, somewhere, you know, in roughly the in the vicinity. I mean, is Rashford likely to be marked? Do you think? Are there, are there likely to be any Manchester City players taking out where Rashford is? Maybe trying to cut off an angle. Yeah, I'd say that's probably because City have at least three plan. defenders, right? And you've only got one guy up front. Yeah. So who are you going to pass the ball to? Who who are you going to give the ball to to run this we, game? We play a load of one twos with Pogba. Yeah, but you think City might get wise to that tactic? That City, City might go, hang on, they've only got really these two players. You know, maybe we should get in, get in around them. If Sunis has the ball, why don't we put a man standing between him and Pogba? Well, that's if Pogba tra- has the ball, vice versa. In fact, the same man can do both jobs. Transitions. The point about it is that if you've got a team set up as defensively as, as Manchester United are in every big game, nobody can run that game. The point of the team is for the other team to run the game. 
It's all set up for the other team to have the ball. And you get you, they make a mistake, you get the ball, you score. That's that's what it is. You, if you put Xavi in that team, he would disappear. You know, well, what would happen is a couple of weeks later, Xavi would give a big interview to Jeff Shreves. He'd be like, you know, I just, this is not football. You know, he'd have this hollow-eyed look and there'd be a big, there'd be a toxic falling out. Mourinho would question his mentality. He'd be sold to Qatar or whatever. Nobody could do the job that Sunus is blaming Pogba for not doing in this team. It's The team is not set up for that type of player. There are not enough players. If you want to, if wherever you see that type of player in the wild, um, you will have a team which is set up to give him passing options on the ball, which is the fullbacks are going forward, or at least the fullbacks are there out wide showing for the ball. You know, they're not back in a line with their central defenders. That explains why, excuse me, why he's not controlling games necessarily, but it doesn't explain why he can't do spectacular things more. He does do spectacular things. He does loads of spectacular things. He does spectacular things in every game. I mean, Sunis was saying he didn't... I mean, what was the... Do you remember the goal he scored against Swansea? I mean, have you ever seen a more immaculate volley than that? You forget these things as they, as they go on. All Pogba can do in this system is try to hit Zlatan with a 50-yard ball. And you can, you've actually seen him do that loads of times this season. He's brilliant at it, yeah. at picking out a striker from his own half. But he's forced to play those types of passes because the team setup doesn't really allow for much else. So this is what I'm saying. When Jose Mourinho was, was, was talking about this is a victory for the humble people. This is about uh, people who aren't afraid to work. You know, there's lots of poets. Hmm. Po- by poet, he means an egotistical phony. He doesn't recognize that like, there might, you know, a poet might actually have some genuine creative aspect to the personality. He just sees a poet is a, poet is a phony. It was a pop at me, if a few of our listeners pointed out. My own poems. I'm, yeah. yeah, you, you, Pep Guardiola, and other such phonies, right? Those uh, creative types. Football is full of these, full, full of uh, poets, but poets don't win titles. <laughs> so that was that was Mourinho's hard bitten. You know, oh, this is how you win. This is what football is really about. Football is suffering. Football is is hard work. Football is nullifying the opponent. Football is being humble. Blah blah blah. Being humble, you know, with the, with the, some of the best players in the world. But and that's that's okay. Fair enough. And, and, and as many Manchester United fans have been pointing out, look, he's won the trophies. He's won the trophies. And that's true. It's like he's won the trophies. It makes the players look bad. It makes the players look bad. This is why, you know, Mourinho criticised Sunas for, oh, pundits aren't honest when they don't show their colours. Like, basically saying, he says this because he's Liverpool, we're Manchester United, therefore discount anything he says. Now, I think that's actually totally wrong. I don't think Graham Sunas thinks of things as a Liverpool fan. He, Graham Souness, is much more important than, you know, he's above thinking in terms of being a fan of a club. You know what I mean? I don't think that's the way he looks at it. I think he, Pogba irritates him for other reasons. <laughs> I mean, one of the things about the the old pros and, and obviously every older generation hates the younger generations for, for loads of reasons. They're lazy, they don't know how to suffer, they, they show no respect. All the usual things that old people say about young people all the time. And one of the bitterest things for any old footballer looking at footballers who are currently playing is how much more money they make. It's really irritating. Sunis is a, is a guy who made plenty of money and is, is a well-off guy. It's not as biting for him, this, this, this resentment, as it is for a lot of others. But he's poor in another way. There's a, there's a form of poverty that afflicts Graham Souness and other old pros compared to the modern footballer that really burns and sticks in the craw. Oh. YouTube poverty. 
YouTube poverty. It's the it's when the all the highlights of your career can be boiled down that exist on YouTube would only fill a three minute clip. Compared to you know, compared to Pogba, where literally every second of his career is documented. Every single thing that he does is filmed in HD from 10 different angles, you know? Whereas if you want to look at Graham Cena, a great player, a better player in his own opinion, certainly, than Pogba, and in, and in terms of achievements, a far greater player. Pogba's got a long way to go before he can match up to Sunas. But what, what you will find is, is Sunas stamping a guy... Uh, over the ball, playing for Rangers against Zidane Bucharest, playing a back pass to his own goalkeeper from just in front of the opposing uh, team's box and strutting around. <laughs> and very, you know, there's a few, there's a few goals, there's a few clips, there's highlights, tackles, but it's not a lot. It's been forgotten. It's dis- you know, like the it's it's like uh, all of it is now lost, like tears in rain. You know, Blade Runner. <laughs> this is uh, this is maybe the most depressing thing now. For for older pros to uh, to think these people don't even realize how good I was, and I can't even show them, you know. And uh, and I think there's maybe a bit of that going on, especially when you see how how Pogba's on TV all the time. That's it for today's report on sport. An old pumpkin. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside blue they don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't kick on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. England reacted to that equaliser perfectly. Um, no panic, calm straight down, continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> Arsenal saved the press performance of the season for their final game of the season, the FA Cup final against Chelsea and the questions about whether or not Arsene Wenger stays or goes dominated the build-up and the post-match as well he didn't really get a chance to savour the victory before he had to start feeling those questions in the post-match interviews Josh Robinson of the Wall Street Journal is ready to talk to us about this and Josh some people were speculating a lot of people were speculating that this is a great time for Wenger to go that he can bow bow out at the top after winning yet another FA Cup but judging by the way he was speaking before and after the game it seems pretty obvious that he wants to stay I think he's always privately wanted to stay at the club. The, you know, he feels this is the club of his career. He's said that many times. Um, but as he approached the end of the season and as the question over fourth versus fifth place and how this FA Cup final would go uh, got closer, I think he began possibly to waver a little bit. He, be- he more, more of the situation felt out of his hands in the last couple of weeks. Um, but 
and and certainly finishing in fifth place damaged his case. But winning the FA Cup in the style that he did, um, I think, became kind of an unexpectedly big bargaining chip. Uh, I'm not sure anyone thought that they could deliver such a an impressive performance that that speaks to a lot of the things that he wants that that he'll make in his case on uh, Tuesday to the board, such as. Uh, you know, an old dog can learn new tricks, uh, which he clearly has with this three at the back that they've played over the past uh, the past few weeks, um, and that his players seem to be on side, uh, which was questioned as well in some of the defeats at Crystal Palace, the, the West Brom game, when they uh, they looked like they had completely sold him out. Yeah, I mean, it it does suggest anyway that this this idea that was put about a lot earlier in the season that there was a contract there waiting for Arsene Wenger to sign was was completely inaccurate. I mean, he would have, I think, Josh, signed a contract if he'd had the opportunity to do so. But the reason that he hasn't until now is that the board clearly is not united in their uh, desire to see him stay or hasn't been united at least until this point. Well, what we shouldn't underestimate is that Arsene Wenger, like all of these Premier League managers, is an extremely proud man. And even if the contract was there, I think he's always wanted to make sure that the contract he signs, um, if he does so, is one that's really on his terms. Uh, and, and now with this FA Cup in his pocket and, again, the manner of the performance, he can go to the board and say not just, I don't want this job out of any sense of sort of historical loyalty or charity. I want you to genuinely believe that I am the best manager available to Arsenal Football Club right now. Yeah. What about this uh, this notion? Um, and I've heard a, a bit about this uh, in recent times that one of the sticking points might be that Arsenal want to change the structure a little bit in which Arsene Wenger actually works. So we have a guy who's used to kind of being an all-powerful dictator with everything to do with the football side of the club uh, who might be expected, or it seemed like some people like the idea that maybe they should bring in a director of football, some kind of interstitial layer uh, working alongside or maybe even slightly above Arsene Wenger um, between him and the board. And that, that uh, I mean, what do you think of, of that idea? How likely is something like that to materialize? Well, that, that idea has been floated. Um, and it, it's interesting because it feels like we're kind of at a turning point in what managers in the Premier League are, you know, he's Wenger really is the last in the old model of sort of the the Fergie imperial manager who runs a club top to bottom. And Wenger is very, very adamant about uh, everything on the technical side of the club falling under him, uh, which is kind of interesting because he did have a sort of uh, not a full director of football relationship when David Dean was around, but he had someone in his corner for. Uh, transfer policy and making those and executing those transfers, which he hasn't had in a long time. The the department at Arsenal in charge of negotiations and recruitment has let him down over and over again, um, and I think he's been disappointed with that. Mm. Uh, I mean, I guess part of the reason, like Wenger said, uh, one of his his lines on Saturday was, "It's not about popularity; it's about competence." Uh, and as you're saying, Josh, you know, he he wants the board to believe that he is the best manager they could get. But it does strike me that if this was happening a year or two ago, um, there would be more kind of obvious candidates, sort of top-level managerial candidates available. The only thing is that they've all now joined other Premier League clubs. So maybe one of the big things keeping Arsene Wenger, or likely to keep him in the job, is the fact that the board uh, has no idea who else really 
they could hire. Absolutely. I think I think Vancouver was probably in greater danger a year ago or a year and a half ago um, when, you know, right before Klopp went to Liverpool and uh, right before Pep went to City. Not not that I, I have any insight on, as to whether Arsenal actually would have been in the mix for Pep, but um, it, cre- it at least creates the illusion of options out there. And now you're right. It's um, There isn't that wealth of of high-profile managers on the market. You know, Allegri has been mentioned a lot over the past season, but he's got a Champions League final ahead of him, and you wonder why he would even leave Juve, you know, to manage a club that's not in the Champions League next year. It's almost like things have aligned perfectly for Wenger as a way to say, okay, he's weathered the storm here, and now I'm all you've got. Is there any danger, Josh, that with so much focus on Wenger, the people have taken their eye off the ball a little bit when it comes to particularly Alexis Sanchez, one or two key players. Wenger himself said this after the game, after the cup final. He said, I think we can win the league next season. We just need to keep the team together and buy one or two players. Is the damage that seems to be there, seems to exist around Alexis Sanchez irreparable? Or do you think that if Wenger does say he might be able to convince Alexis Sanchez that he's the manager to win him some titles? I think he's got a big case to make to Alexis Sanchez, but um, I, I really, I'm, I have to say that I'm at a loss as to uh, interpret what Alex, because Sanchez has been doing. You you look at his behavior after the Cup final, going over to the fans, really joining in. Um, you know, for all the oracles out there uh, interpreting the uh, you know t- team celebrations, and that may seem like a good sign, but certainly. Uh, I think Alexis is the greater risk, uh, the greater flight risk from Arsenal uh, rather than Ozil. I think, you know, that that much seems safe. Ozil was right there with Wenger lifting the cup. He was the one player sort of hugging him up there on the Wembley steps. Um, as for Alexis Sanchez, he's obviously crucial. I don't think we need to debate that at all uh, if Arsenal is going to build something going forward here in the next season or two under Wenger. Josh Robinson, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks. into that idea that this FA Cup win is a bit of a bargaining chip because you certainly didn't in advance of it hmm. all season you've been saying ah an FA Cup another FA Cup but does it change things slightly that it was won in the manner in, that the team played for Arsene Wenger yesterday oh yeah I think so I think maybe that's the most important uh, part um, I mean Joshua referred to the the, the the way that they'd won it you know I would include beating Manchester City as part of that beating Manchester City beating Chelsea winning most of their last games. I mean, falling just short. I mean, the, once you after a, a win like that, obviously everything just looks rosier. If you think about Arsenal's season, it was actually terrible. 
you know it was it was it was awful there was humiliating defeats there was ridiculous defeats um they they were so uh, weak so vulnerable at so many times and it went on for so long and then it sort of turned around and they <laughs> they got they they turned really good at the end of the season but how do you think it's going to be next season do you do you think it's going to be Winning ninety percent of their games—that sort of consistency, that steal—or is it going to be what it's been? See, the problem that Wenger has, in a sense, he points to the twenty years as look, look at my work. But the thing is, we've seen—it's so consistent over the last ten years. It's been the same every every year. You know exactly what he's going to deliver. It would be a massive surprise if the eleventh year, you know, of, would, would was it was a complete turnaround. It would just be. Why, why, why do we expect that? So, um, you don't. If it was me, I, w- I wouldn't want to re-sign him. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to give him another contract. But again, it's like I saw Miguel talking about it the other day. He said, "Look, I've been criticizing Arsenal for five years. I think he's passed it. But what a great guy he is to cover. You know, because he, you know, if, you, if you're kind of dealing with him um, week by week to week, um, it, uh, as these kind of coaches go, he's." He's so kind of respectful. He's just a kind of an elegance. There's an elegance and an intelligence about Arsene Wenger, which I think you can't help but warm to. Um, you know, as a person, you can't help but but like him. But as a coach, the fact is, he's been so consistently not quite good enough over the last ten years that I just kind of feel as though you don't have any right to expect anything else next year. If you want to hear Ken delve into matters even more important than Wenger's future, such as analysing Trump's handshake strategy and his international tour recently, you've got to check out the latest Ken Early political podcast on the World Service. We also had Pauli Malnagy last week, world champion boxer turned commentator, going into serious detail as to why Conor McGregor does not actually have a puncher's chance of beating Floyd Mayweather because... Well, essentially, he'll never get a chance to land that punch. If you're not signed up, get on to secondcaptains.com and join our amazing members for just five euro a month plus VAT. If you didn't get a chance earlier on to pause this podcast, by the way, to watch the scenes at the Stadio Olimpico, I think what we can do for you is go back to last season to give you an idea of just how Francesco Totti whips things up in Rome. He came off the bench last year in a big game, the 85th minute, to score two goals against Torino, which won that match 3-2 for his beloved Roma. Zampa, I believe is the name of this local Roma commentator. That's what I've got in front of me here anyway, so he, we'll hear Zampa breaking down a little here. Parte il capitano. Il tiro Yeah, there you go. If you thought that was high emotion, it was nothing compared to the Stadio Olimpico yesterday. Toddy finishing up with the club after two and a half decades there. Terry Daly was at the stadium for this emotional farewell. Terry, to put it mildly, we've seen some of the videos. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just about all right. I'm, I'm, I'm more or less spent more time crying about the traffic after the game <laughs> than I did uh, trying to get home rather than Totti himself for all the uh, emotion that was in the, in the stadium. And even in the press box, I mean, there was journalists crying, bawling their eyes out in the press box. and It was a pretty mad day. It seemed There's remarkable. all sorts yeah. of emotions. All sorts of emotions. Yeah. And what sometimes in these situations, you, you can see it's emotional for the player and you're sometimes wondering if it's even a little bit put on and the fans aren't always necessarily as involved. They're almost there out of duty to this guy. But it seemed as though the players, it was... It was uh, you know, it looked like a funeral at times. 
Yeah, it's it's it was it did feel a little bit like that. I mean, it was a very odd. It was an odd day, really, because the match itself was almost a sideshow. Which, when you think about it, is absolutely ridiculous because Rome really had to win yesterday to qualify for the Champions League to, to for automatic qualification for the Champions League. So they had a really really important game with uh, with Genoa, who were safe and didn't have anything to play for, um, and they nearly threw it away. And the part of the reason for that. It probably isn't the fact that it was Totti was retiring, was retiring, but um, it did feel a little bit at times like it was a sort of pre-season friendly or a, or a testimonial rather than a really important Serie A match which had to be won in order to get the the money that the Champions League brings because Roma are, are struggling with uh, with their finances in terms of reinvesting in the squad. They have to sell players more or less every summer. They're being watched by UEFA for about financial fair play, so getting automatic quali- uh, Champions League qualification is hugely important because it means that Monchi, who's the new sporting director, will be able to plan their transfers straight away rather than having to wait till August after the preliminary round to see whether they'll... the playoffs, sorry, to see whether they'll actually be in the Champions League or not. Um, so, yeah, and especially with Napoli just smashing everyone out of sight at the moment. They won 4-1 yesterday, I think. And, um, you know... Just managing to stay ahead of that team was, you know, a huge, huge effort from uh, from Roma in a, a team that really Totti didn't have anything to do with this season. To be honest, he spent I think I can't remember the exact number, but it's it's just around three hundred and fifty minutes he played in the league. So to suddenly go from that to then at the end of the the last game of the season, he played nearly forty minutes, and the whole stadium was basically just watching him rather than the actual game. It was really, really strange. Um, and you know, after the game as well, when when he did his victory lap and he did his speech, um, every time uh, Luciano Spalletti, who's the out, he's not officially outgoing, but he will be leaving Roma to go to Inter Milan, um, and the president James Palossa were on the screen. The stadium booed them. <laughs> I mean, really, like they're absolutely like I mean, a torrent of boos. Like you, you can't imagine. It was the weirdest thing. Like even pre-match when they run when they uh, read the teams out. They they do a big sort of pre-match like they do in every ground, you know, the reading of the teams out and they get the crowd involved and stuff. And they But the, what they do in Italy is they always say the manager after they do the team. So they got to Totti, who was the he was on the bench, obviously, they, they did him last. And this whole stadium exploded, like they do the call and response. So they said Francesco and they, the whole stadium, like 60,000 people just screamed Totti in a way, like an absolute, it was a deluge. It was The noise was incredible. And then so, straight afterwards, they said, and your coach, Luciano Spalletti, and the whole stadium booed him. <laughs> and this, this is the, it's just ludicrous. And if you think, if you bear in mind, what's really mad about this is that after winning uh, yesterday in a sort of mad, dramatic game, Spalletti, not only has he finished second, he's only four points behind Juventus. He's established a new club points record. It's 87 points, which is uh, no Roma team's ever gathered that many points before. And it's the exact same number of points that Juventus uh, made when they won the league in 2015 and got to the Champions League final. And yet this guy's leaving and half, most of the stadium was insulting him all game long. Because... Well, it's, not, it's not surprising. Sorry, you were, you were going to say because, though? Uh, well, basically because of the, 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 way he, the way he's treated Totti. I mean, the, well, also, between... also, though, surely because he's leaving. No, I don't think that's they're not they're not booing him because he's leaving. I mean, there's a lot of people who are actually quite happy to see him go, madly because there's a, there's a, there's a real thing with Roma fans. I mean, I've been going to I've been in Italy for nearly uh, nearly ten years, and I've been going to watch Roma in following Roma in, for, in one way or another 
either as a journalist or as a fan for the best part of a decade. And it's, you know, I remember when he first came, he had a big falling out with Totti, and that really, that really sort of poisoned it a bit. And that with, was with that was like yeah, twelve or thirteen years ago, right? Well, it was ten years ago, yeah, when he left, more or less, when he, yeah. it was, he had 2010 when he left, I think. Um, but, I mean, the thing is, there's a real split in the fan base at Roma where there's people who, they call themselves, they don't call themselves, they get called Tottiani. So they're kind of almost fans of Totti more than they are the club, which is a bit unfair, but he because he symbolises so much of what, of Roman, not just the identity of the club, but also kind of what a Roman person is like you know the way he speaks the way he acts the way he looks everything about him is he could be your uncle and when he was younger he could have been your cousin you know and yeah. you know when when he was in his mid-30s he could have been you know your brother-in-law or something he was he's just that kind of guy that really he could be just any old guy on the street he just happens to be really amazing at football but and, what, what and is level club. what would you say is distinctively roman about toddy i mean what what are the kind of characteristics that he embodies that people go yeah this is rome well, uh, well, I mean, part of it's a bit myth-making because the, the the fan base is they they have this thing about the sort of Roman centurion thing from ancient times and what have you, and, and Roma isn't really like that anymore. I mean, the modern Rome doesn't really have anything to do with ancient Rome, um, so I mean, the the link there is a bit daft. But the he it's the concept of he's kind of homely and sort of. He's kind of like the boy next door. I mean, Romans in Italy are kind of looked down upon a bit, which you might feel is a bit weird given that it's a capital city. But given that the the main powerhouse, the the main powerhouse and and sort of financial power in Italy is 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 almost all up north in Milan and Turin and in the Veneto area. Um, Romans for a long time were kind of seen as sort of a bit buffoonish, a bit sort of provincial, a bit almost stupid you know like even the accent sometimes gets you know it gets mocked by people from up north because it's kind of seen as a sort of not even a proper dialect it's almost just sort of like a garbled way of talking which is a bit silly and 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 almost like i suppose you could the equivalent in 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 england would be like you you see the way people take the mick out of the birmingham accent or the black country accent as being sort of slightly slow and dim that it's not exactly the same, but that's more or less um, how Romans were traditionally viewed by people from up north. Um, so he's got a bit of that. He's also he's he's just kind of got the sort of personality that you warm to when you actually hear him talk. I mean, I mean, you probably saw the speech oh, yesterday. Yeah. Even though he he's not the world's most articulate man. What are and, you talking about, Terry? This is the this is the best written speech I've ever seen. I, well, exactly. I, well, I, I mean, apparently, apparently his wife his wife helped him write it. Really? So. I remember he was he did a, he did a piece uh, for the Players Tribune that's um, yeah. American site and it and it was like yeah. I was like wow, I didn't realize Toddy was such a um was, was such an expert in this exquisitely crafted American style sports writing. But this yeah, speech you'd be surprised. This yeah. speech is written in exactly the same voice. It's incredible. It's amazing. It's 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 got all these like these flashbacks to childhood. He's like a yeah. kid, he's been woken up by his mother. You know, mm-hmm. I want you you want to keep dreaming, but you never yeah, can. Yeah, he's he, yeah, I mean I, I don't want to be the cynic, but the, I mean the thing for the players tribute, he obviously didn't write himself. Um the the speech to me, sounded much more from the heart than that article did. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed, I noticed, the first thing that I thought of, actually, when he he said, uh, I'm scared, which was the kind of thing you don't often hear players talk about, you know, like the sort of post, 
career depression. And Daniele De Rossi spoke about this. in. Uh, he did an interview with Sky Sports over here. Um, Daniel De Rossi, in case anyone doesn't know who he is, is going to be the Roma captain now that um, Totti's retired. He's the, another local, locally born um, local hero. He was talking about how he see, he'd seen players really suffer, not just at the end of the career, but also when they were coming towards the end of it because they kind of just saw black. They didn't know what to do next. And so when Totti started talking about being scared, there was there was a flashback in my mind because there was another Roma Roman-born Roma captain called Agostino Di Bartomale, who... If you Liverpool fans, old Liverpool fans of a certain vintage might remember him because he was in the Roma captain when Liverpool won the European Cup in Rome in '84. Um, and when he retired, um, he really went into a pit and he killed himself in in 1994. He killed himself to, ten years to the day after they lost the European Cup final. And his suicide note said, "I feel like I'm closed in a hole." Um, so I think a lot that that part of the speech really resonated with the with with the fan base because that was that was a definite flashback to uh, to Di Battle I mean, if, if you're not a Roma fan, you might not have known about that, but that was a definite allusion, I think, on his part to that. And his his request to be sort of you know he needed to be helped by the fans. I don't think that was just sort of romantic, sort of schmaltzy nonsense. I really do get the impression that he's going to struggle without football. Because that's all he's ever done. I mean, he's 41 years old. 25 of those years, he's spent playing in the first team of a Syria club. Um, and without that, I mean, I can't see him being a sporting director somehow. I mean, like that's he's basically got a job lined up with the club. He's got a six-year contract as a director. And he, Monchi said when he first turned up that he wants to work alongside Totti. But I've, I, I personally don't really understand what kind of job he can do. He's not been primed for it. And he doesn't actually want to retire. I mean, he's only came out a few days ago to say that this that um, Sunday's game was going to be his last game. He spent most of the season sort of arming and ahhing and saying, "I don't know," and all of this because he obviously wants he obviously wanted a contract extension, which was never going to come along. Um, but he didn't want to say in public, "I might go and play somewhere else," because that would kind of sully his legacy. So I still think now he's he's probably still thinking about what to do, whether he wants to go and play in i don't know dubai or the states or a league that's a bit more comfortable for a man who really can't run anymore um but i mean i don't even necessarily think that would be work i mean i I don't think you can go to the states now and just stand in the center circle and kick a ball around that's not how it works so um i yeah i kind of see it as being it's going to be a a tough period for him yeah um, to be honest i hadn't heard about that um about that former Roma captain, yeah. you know, it's a really tragic story. I can I can understand why someone like Toddy might be worried. I know a lot of people would say, oh, "Look, you know, he doesn't have to work another day in his life." <laughs> Maybe that's yeah, part no. that's part of the problem. Uh, you know, having yeah. having a purpose. And I've also, I mean, I can't think of any footballer anywhere in the world who's as it would be as institutionalized as Francesco Totti would be at Roma. When, no, he, when he make his debut, March nineteen ninety three. You know, he yeah. was playing professional football for this team before Baggio missed that penalty in the 94 World Cup. It's a different, yeah, he was six, different life. He was, six, he was 16 years old. I mean, you know, and he's, he's the youngest, he's still the youngest ever Serie A captain. I mean, he was made captain, I can't remember the exact date off the top of my head, but it was in the like the you know mid to late 90s. So nearly tw- I think it's nearly 19 years he was Roma captain. Terry Daly, brilliant stuff, thank you. Take care. I'm not sure how you compare what you've heard there, Ken, with the... Other great goodbye of this season, John Terry at Chelsea. Seems like Totti's getting a little bit more 
Well, we don't know. I suppose the Roma fans, the Chelsea fans pr- seem to mostly love what John Terry did. It just seems, and it seemed like it was handled with a bit more class over in Rome. Well, well there wasn't the, the sort of first half substitution, guard of honour, all that kind of quite strange, uniquely John Terry stuff. And the fact that, that Totty is uh, a kind of universally um, respected figure, or at least not somebody who lots of people in different parts of Italy have reason to hate. You know, whereas John Terry has got enemies uh, or, let's say, strong uh, vocal critics arising from various incidents uh, throughout his career. I mean, Toddy's speech, you want to get a look at the transcript of this speech. Oh, I mean, it's just beautiful. You know, Toddy was, was going around, they were playing Elton John. You know, it was, it was uh, the circle, circle of Life uh, from the Lion King, uh, the whole a whole stadium full of weeping Romans listening to this sentimental uh, power ballad. Yeah. Uh, Toddy there with his, with his kids, and then he takes the microphone and he, you know, overcome by emotion, he he manages to read out this speech. Uh, Thank you, Rome. Uh, uh, I'd I'd like to I'd like to. It's impossible to sum up twenty eight years in a few sentences. I'd like to do so with a song or poem, but I can't write any. Oh, go on, Francesco, back yourself. Seriously, this is beautiful. Over the years, I've tried to express myself through my feet, which made everything simpler for me ever since I was a child. Speaking of childhood, can you guess what my favorite toy was? A football. A football, of course. And it still is today. At some point in life, you grow up. That's what I've been told, and that's what time has decided. Damned time. (laughs) Back on 17th June 2001, we all wanted time to pass a little more quickly. I think that was the day Roma won the league. Was it? it was I think it was their their the only title that he ever won was uh, the season went late for whatever reason, um, and they ended up winning in a tense kind of game. They all ended up standing around in their underpants afterwards. That's all I really recall of it. Um, we couldn't wait to hear the referee blow the final whistle. I still get goosebumps now when I think about it today. Time has come to tap me on the shoulder and say, we have to grow up. As of tomorrow, you'll be an adult. He's 41. Take off those shorts and boots, because starting today, you're a man. You can no no longer enjoy the smell of the grass, the sun in your face as you bear down on the opposition's goal, the adrenaline consuming you, the joy of celebrating. Over the past few months, I've started asking myself why I'm being awoken from this dream. Imagine you're a child having a good dream, and your mother wakes you up to go to school. You want to keep dreaming. <laughs> it was beautiful. Do you want to give it a little bit more of the speech? Now you've got a back and track? Yeah, okay. Allow me to be, he said, uh, I'm afraid. It's not the same fear you feel when you're standing in front of goal and afraid to take a penalty. Allow me to be afraid. This time, it's me who needs you and the love that you've always shown me. With your support, I will succeed in turning the page and throwing myself into a new adventure. To the fans in the curve of suit, a guiding light for all Romans and Romanisti. Being born Roman and Romanisti is a privilege. Being the captain of this team is an honor. You are, and always will be, my life. I will no longer entertain you with my feet, but my heart will always be there with you. Now, I will go down the stairs and enter the dressing room that welcomed me as a child, and that I now leave as a man. I'm proud and happy to have given you 28 years of love. I love you. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Hang loose, man. Hang loose. Thanks, Francesco Tardi. Thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to see than can ever.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.